0: This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie.
1: Imperial Voice streaming as if from the palace of His Imperial Majesty Haile
2: Selassie. This is In Our City. I'm Wulua Tosin Onilere. I'm William Heath. I'm Deborah Green from the United States of America in Missouri.
3: And I'm Cindy Thompson from the United States.
2: Excellent. So we are coming to you with a
0: very special edition of In Our City. In this edition, we will be talking about the systematic and institutional racism equality and justice in the United States of America. On videos captured by fellow Americans, the world watched in horror as police officers in Minneapolis squeezed the life out of George Floyd, an African-American man, heedless of calls for mercy. Their nonchalant disregard for his life caused widespread unanimous outrage, has precipitated social unrest, not only in the United States, but also around the world. So our guests, Cindy and her, um, her sister, Debbie, um, are here as African American uh, women and um, community activists to talk to us about their perspective on, on,
1: on the recent developments. So William,
4: any
0: yeah, so
1: Jenny- questions? You're, you're a retired teacher. Uh, I think you're in Columbia, Missouri, in the Midwest of America.
4: Yes.
0: So trader, so it's a
1: conservative yeah. state, but a liberal town. Yes. Uh, what's it like for you? And You're an African-American woman. You're a community organizer. What's it like for you when you see a video like this?
2: It is heart-wrenching. Um, mainly because um, being an educator here in... Um, Columbia, Missouri for 26 years. I started as an art teacher and became an administrator. Uh, so was with the district for 26 years. And just trying to teach kids that the world is open for them, that things are open for them, that they can do anything they wanna do. And then when they have to come across and have to deal with this sort of thing, you know, they look at me and they go, well, I I can't do that. So it's, you know, it's just so disheartening. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's sad uh, is what it has really been. And even in in this small town, um, you know, conservative state, but very liberal liberal town, it's, um, yeah, it's just really, really sad for me. Yeah, just breaks my heart.
0: Um, And to the schools and institutions that you've taught in, Mm-hmm. Are you, are they predominantly um, African-American or just mixed schools?
2: They are really mixed. When I started my career uh, in the elementary, it was uh, probably about a 50-50 mix with a pretty high population of free and reduced lunch. Uh, and then I moved to the middle school, which was predominantly Caucasian, um, but still the African-American population was uh, free and reduced. Um, And moving on then to the high school, uh, it was even more of a higher Caucasian population. Uh, And unfortunately, a lot of the African American students were bused in, in the year 2015, uh, because the district wanted to make things more equitable. Um, In fact, it made it really less. Because those students then didn't have an opportunity to stay after school due to transportation to participate in many of the after school opportunities. So it's um, predominantly Caucasian community, and I'd say we're probably about 35% African American in the whole community.
0: Okay. Um, before I, um, I let William sort of take the next question, I just wanted to ask Cindy, because knowing you, I am you, are, uh, someone who has lived abroad, I think, Cindy, probably for the last 20 years as an an American expat with lots of power, lots of wealth. And um, I'm sure you you feel that you're in um, a strong position. How did it feel, Cindy, to watch a black man be treated in this way? How did it feel?
3: Well, once again, yes, very heart-wrenching. And... As you mentioned, I've lived abroad for 15 years. So I have been limited on my own, I did so, of uh, what was actually happening in the US. And I would only watch videos when I wanted to, uh, you know, of what was going on in the US with our current uh, president. Um, so I wasn't hit with it every day like most black Americans are in the US. Now that I've been back due to COVID, you know, I returned to the U.S. from the Philippines. I see it on TV 24-7, you know, what's happening in our country. And so I think it was probably a bigger shock to me to see it because Mm. I wasn't aware that things were so bad. Mm -hmm. Um,
4: Mm.
3: So, yeah, it it really, it hurt. It was shocking. It was scary. Um, Yeah, all of that and like you said yes i do have a voice because um i have lived abroad i try to educate as much as i can uh, individuals about my culture i feel that i am an ambassador to the us and i've had a lot of people reach out to me because of that because they know my character they know who i am they know that it's not a racist thing to me that it's a human thing to me and um yeah so pretty much it's been very hard yeah. It was very heart-wrenching yeah. I've, I've
0: seen some of your responses on on Facebook and hopefully you, you there was a poem that you shared that was written uh, by anonymous that you shared that was just you know heart wrenching but maybe at some point you might want to um, uh, read that poem to us but I'll let William take the next question
1: so just for perspective I think in our community it's approximately two percent uh, black, Asian, or minority, ethnic. So the the feeling I get is that there's an awful lot of sympathy in our community. I mean, there's a, there's a demonstration in Bristol this weekend, there's a demonstration in Bath, which is a reasonably provincial city this weekend, you know, about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's death. But I think with that sympathy, there's probably genuinely a lack of understanding. I think it's very, very hard to understand what the situation is really like and what life is really like, because the impression we get of African-American life is, is very, very partial. And You speak about the Caucasian population where you are. Do you think there's a, a reaction you'd like to see, a, re, a, a supportive reaction or a desire for, for change from the Caucasian population in America and also support
2: from around the world? Definitely. Um, I am really fortunate that... Um coming from the field of education, uh, I like to believe, and I have seen that most educators are very liberal. They're very open-minded. I mean, we teach the world. Um, And so I have had a tremendous amount of support from, white colleagues uh, to this day through my Facebook friends. I've, I've received personal messages. Uh, just in the recent protests that I've participated in just this past week here in town, um, the majority of the people are, are white that are there in the protest. Um, and you know, usually you see that, especially during the school year, you see the students, but the students aren't here. So it is community support that has really, really been there, which is uh, heartwarming. Uh, It feels really good. And so I have received a tremendous amount of support from friends, from colleagues, people that I don't know. Um, But then you do still have the flip side. Um, The other day, I pulled up at the grocery store and kind of went over the line, I don't see well with my parking, and an older white woman had the audacity to come to my window on the passenger side and stuck her head in and was like you're over the line and i'm like whoa so you you it's it's a huge mix of now the the quote-unquote privilege is really showing people are are really forward and i think it's due to the white house at this point um but yes, I've had a, an overwhelming amount of support from- And you've been uh, out
1: protesting on the streets. How, how was that?
2: Uh, great, great. Um, I think it was Friday was one of the first uh, protests that I attended. Uh, it was phenomenal. There were um, over 250 people there with signs and chants. Um, I was out with uh, my youngest daughter um, the other evening, uh, which is kind of scary to go out in the evening. Um, but, you know, I, I go, my mask, we've got our mask, our gloves, you know, our signs, and, and we're walking and protesting and kind of blocking the street or whatever. Uh, I've got a couple other protests that I'm going to Saturday and Sunday, uh, just to support, because things have got to change. Got How to old change. is your daughter you took out? The youngest, oh, no kids. <laughs> the youngest is 30. Oh, so. uh, 30,
1: okay. Yeah. My, my daughter is going to a protest. She's 14. <laughs> My, no. but her mother wants me to go with her and she refuses to let me go with her because she wants to go sort of, you know, with her friends. Yeah. How were how, how the police?
2: Um, great. Actually, they said that the protest yesterday evening, they um, marched in front of the marchers. So, yeah, Columbia is a pretty cool community. I mean, we, we have our faults. We have our people. Um but they've been, you know, pretty much in support. And the uh, police chief has been on television quite a bit, talking. Um, he's um, very open, very frank, very transparent about these are the things that we're doing. Um, you know, we support you. So it, it's been really a good support. Yeah.
0: And what about you, Cindy? What has been? Because there, in one hand, is Columbia, which. You're saying it has been. Um, um, Debbie's saying has been a fairly calm
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, protest, but what we're getting um, is that Atlanta. Atlanta is a completely different kettle of fish. Have you been out mm-hmm. at all, Cindy?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: No, I have not. I have not participated, um, mostly because I'm not tied in and linked to the community here. I haven't lived here in 15 years, so I really don't even. I'm not even aware who's organizing uh, the protest and so forth. Um, but you feel safe. Oh, absolutely, I feel safe. But I'm about ten or fifteen minutes away from downtown. First of all, I don't feel like if I go out in the community, some white person's going to do something to me. I don't, you know, I don't. Or know. even,
0: or even some of the writers, maybe, or. Um,
3: Writing, yeah, it's it's scary, but I like it. Once again, I, I'm i not there. I watch it on television. It's it's horrible to see. Um, I'm glad they're telling the story that it's not just Black people looting. Um, mm-hmm. We have people coming from out of town, Black and white, mm-hmm. that yeah. are in, in our city. We have the white uh, supremacists, also um, the white supremacist people coming in and Kind of lighting the fire to get the rioting going, and then yes. ultimately we follow suit behind them, which is you know what their intent is, I believe. Um, so I just try to educate people to make sure they understand that you know they want us to loot so that they can shoot. So I think that's what uh, the whole plan is as to why they're coming in and starting the riots. So, so do you guys, both of you, this question to both of you, do you both think that a lot of what is
0: happening, because the temperature seems to, um, from our observation externally, has been rising, the racial tensions have been rising almost from the first day that um, uh, POTUS um, went into office.
4: Oh, yes. What,
0: what do, you, do you think that's the case? um do you think this is a you know coming from the white house coming systemic in, in, more in, institutional
2: definitely. and then it's kind of filtered into culture definitely definitely like you said from the minute that well actually before i mean during uh trump's campaign you know, if there were protesters, you know, in the stands, he's like, just beat them up. I'll, I'll pay for you uh, to get out of jail. I mean, he has caused such a division um, or actually, I'm going to rephrase that. The division has always been there. He just opened the doors for people to walk through and make it OK to show that division. And so people are feeling free to do and say and act and come out of the closet now. Uh, and, and it's bad because they have that, that freedom now. They have that okay from him to do that. And they are doing it. And uh, it, makes it, it makes it tough. Only thing is, you, you know who your friends are. That's for sure.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know who your friends are um, because of it. Uh, But yeah, that has um, really deepened the divide. Um, So I can't wait till November 3rd. It's my birthday and I get to vote. Oh, I hope you get a birthday present. I have to say,
1: I think it's fair to say that in in the UK and in Europe generally, uh, the present incumbent of of the White House is is really regarded with astonishment and contempt. Uh And... um, his predecessor, Barack Obama, is 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 much more popular because he's able to kind of complete a sentence and
4: right. and he
1: <laughs> has understand he understands you know his own constitution and human rights and these kinds of things. Yes, uh, I mean, and it's strange because in a way, um, Trump speaks as if he's a better friend to the UK. Obama was quite critical of uh, the UK, you know, in generally in a measured and valid way. Mm-hmm. But um, do you, so. Obama did a town hall last night. Do you think his interventions, which are full of hope and are about organizing and and they're strategic and and they're about getting involved and about voting on the third of November, are those helpful or are those quite ineffectual? Is he quite a marginalised voice now? Do you think?
2: Um, I think they are extremely hopeful. I was. I was glued to the television yesterday <laughs> when he was on. I was cheering like, yes, yes. Just because it was like leadership. Here is leadership. It's like, first of all, somebody with complete sentences, someone with knowledge. Uh, and I mean, it's the voice that many Americans are longing to hear, the The voice of of work as a community, you know, hope. And because we have not been given any hope when, you know, you you uh, shoot rubber bullets and tear gas people that are standing in front of a church so that you can go and do a photo op and hold a Bible upside down. There's been no hope given. Uh, and so he gives that measure of hope to people that we can do this. Let's bring it together. And I think that people, People are wanting and desiring that. So yes, thank goodness. Um, on, that, on the other side, um, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, I
0: noticed that there were several rallies, Trumps for Blacks. I'm going to ask Cindy about this. How, how does that make you feel, knowing that there is this very loud? We even had um, one particular Trumpian,
3: Black Trumpian, on
0: Channel 4, I can't remember his name, How does it make you feel, Cindy?
3: First and foremost, I I believe that that number is a very small number. And of course, they're going to try to market it to appear that it's a large group of people. I think people have a right to their own opinion. So, I mean, it really, it doesn't bother me. If If they really, truly believe that he is behind them and they want to support him for whatever reason, then that's their issue. I read something that said if you're going to have an argument with someone, make sure they're mature enough to actually engage in that uh, particular um, conversation. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. I've lost so much breath on trying to convince people who are Trump supporters that you can't get through to them black, white, purple, orange. So I've kind of stopped fighting those battles. I used to get caught up. I mean, even you and I, one of my girlfriends, that I had no idea. I mean, believe it or not, she used to date a, a Black guy at one point. Yes, yes. It's hard to believe based on the comments that were kind of coming out of her, her uh, text. Yes.
4: <laughs> but I was,
3: I was completely shocked that she was even a Trump supporter. And we tried, right? And you, you just can't get through to them. So you just have to, to bail out and agree to disagree and hope for the best for them. And I guess what's even... I guess I always have said um, the people that support Trump are usually uneducated, white, country bumpkins. To be honest, the types of people that he wouldn't even let into no,
4: his I- uh, <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: yeah. But you know, but the, the thing that surprises me is when I when we encounter on Facebook or in real life um, very educated people who. Yes. normally seem quite not rational mm-hmm. and, um, and able to have uh, intelligent conversations and um, other areas of their lives, are apparently decent people, and yet look up to this man and find ways of rationalizing and justifying um, everything mm-hmm. he does. That is, that is always a shock. Um, yes. But before I continue in, in that vein, I just wanted to ask a, a, a question. Do you think that this is a good thing that's happened in a, in a perverse way, in a way that the sort of pandemic has also brought some healing to the earth because we allowed it to rest? Do you think in a way the, this explosion is going to bring about permanent good change or do you think it's just another storm in a teacup?
3: Oh. I see a movement, I see a movement. It's no longer a protest, it's now a movement. We have so many corporations stepping up. Yes. We have people stepping up that have never before opened their mouths. We have the support. Black Lives Matters is now something that, I mean, you see on billboards now um, from companies. We have, uh, I think it was Reebok that spoke up and said, we would never even be in existence if it wasn't for our Black customers, we would not still be here. So Black Lives Matter, you know? And you're like, oh my gosh, everybody is saying it now. It's no longer just,
4: That's you know, right. 10
3: people in a room yeah. trying to push a movement. It is a movement, and I, I know change is gonna come, because-
1: the, the Ben and Jerry's statement we thought was fantastic. And also, uh, you're you're in Atlanta, I think, um, which my wife, who's American, worked in Atlanta, and she said it was the most racist place she ever was. But in the U.K., we get the impression that Atlanta wow. has a really vibrant African-American culture. Yes, the, yes. And, and we've, we've all seen the the speech by Killer Mike. Do you, tell us about Killer Mike.
3: Oh, wow. That was amazing. Yeah. I, talk yeah. about glued to the television. Um, <laughs> because I haven't lived in the U.S. for 15 years, I had absolutely no idea who he was, to be honest. I didn't know uh, that. <laughs> but my husband, yeah, he's, he's a rapper, but also an activist. I was like, oh, Okay. So I didn't really know what was going to come out of his mouth, and I was like, "Yes, yes, he gets it." I mean, what an amazing, off-the-cuff kind of uh, speech! Something that our current president could not do, um, as you know, he has to read everything and follow with his finger. Um, but this guy was so eloquent in his speaking, and I was, I was just shocked, and I, and I felt. Man, if they had a bullhorn and were outside where those people were, wow, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And In a building, uh, and I understand for safety reasons because they were rioting outside.
1: Let's hear a quick extract of Killer Mike.
5: I didn't want to come, and I don't want to be here. I'm the son of an Atlanta City police officer. my cousin is an Atlanta City police officer and my other cousin, East Point police officer. And I got a lot of love and respect for police officers down to the original eight police officers in Atlanta that even after becoming police, had to dress in a YMCA because white officers didn't want to get dressed with n****s. <laughs> and here we are 80 years later, I watched a white officer assassinate a black man and I know that tore your heart out and I know it's crippling and I have nothing positive to say in this moment because I don't want to be here but I'm responsible to be here because it wasn't just Dr. King and people dressed nicely who marched and protested to progress this city in so many other cities. It was people like my grandmother, people like my aunts and uncles, who were members of SCLC and NAACP, and in particular, Reverend James Orange, Mrs. Alice Johnson, and Reverend Love, who we just lost last year. So I'm duty bound to be here to simply say that it is your duty not to burn your own house down for anger with an enemy. It is your duty to fortify your own house so that you may be a house of refuge in times of organization. And now is the time to plot, plan, strategize, organize, and mobilize. It is time to beat up prosecutors you don't like at the voting booth. It is time to hold mayoral offices accountable, chiefs and deputy chiefs. Atlanta is not perfect but we're a lot better than we ever were, and we're a lot better than cities are.
1: I'm mad as hell. nature of social media that it, I think Killer Mike's message has been heard by a lot
2: of people. A lot
1: of people,
3: yes
2: it has, yes,
3: Yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I was very thankful for, for his message. Do you think,
0: or how do you think the pandemic has contributed to the power of the response?
2: How has the pandemic contributed?
3: Why well, you think? I'll say what I what I feel. Uh, first of all, because we're all working from home, we can get a lot more people to participate. Yeah. So that's been been good. I think, uh, I think a lot of people didn't realize that we are not funded with health care to be able to take care of ourselves. It shows that we are doing those uh, working in grocery stores without insurance, working 30 hours a a week Mm -hmm. to make sure that you don't work enough to qualify for insurance. But we're the ones doing those jobs because nobody else really wants to. Um, Delivering packages for Amazon, FedEx, you know, we we have those types of jobs. They're essential jobs. We're exposing ourselves every day because we have to work. Um, So, yeah, I think it has contributed to it because we see that 60% of the people that are impacted and have died from COVID uh, are African-Americans, yet we mm-hmm. only make up maybe, what is it, 13% of the population, something so to that uh, yes.
4: mm-hmm.
0: matter. Well, we so yeah, it's problem. shown and
3: yeah. it reared its ugly head. Mm.
0: Yeah.
3: That, yeah. That it's disproportionate and it there needs to be equality, uh, whether it's healthcare, education, uh whatever there needs to be equality in our country
1: we have the same issue here and there was a further scandal that the government chose not to publish that report because of the situation in america and said oh well you know it wouldn't be very polite you know to release that information just now it would be inflammatory but i think it's genuinely not clear to what extent the disproportionately high rate of deaths among Black, Asian and minority ethnic people mm-hmm. is because they're in jobs where they're more exposed, which I think, right. I, mean, yes. I, think it, I think that can be, the, it can only be that and relative poverty, I would think. But one thing that has happened in the UK certainly mm-hmm. is a massively increased respect for healthcare workers, care workers, yes.
5: Yes. delivery
1: drivers, the gig economy, people working in supermarkets. I have a friend working in one of the Sainsbury's supermarket here, he says, this is the first time that he's got the impression from other people that his job is valuable.
4: Hmm.
0: Well, then that's great, isn't it? It's, well, um yeah, that's
1: great. <laughs> yeah, it's good
0: if, if it better better
1: yeah. late than never, I suppose.
0: Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah. So Cindy, do, how do you feel about reading out your poem?
1: Oh yes, we want that.
3: Okay, Um, there we go. I will do my best. As you mentioned, I did not write this, but um, when I saw it posted on another friend's page, I had to repost. Um, so let me start my heart is heavy i can't breathe my mind is blank i can't breathe my body aches my heart is sad i am filled with worry consumed by fear i can't breathe i'm in disbelief my sleep is fitful questions overwhelm my mind pain Overwhelms my heart. I can't breathe. What if that were me, my husband, my brother, my brother in law, my grandson, my friend? I can't breathe. No proven crime, only an allegation. No investigation, but arrests just the same. No resistance, only visible cooperation. Begging, Pleading and tears to no avail. I can't breathe.
1: Thank you very much, Cindy. That's very moving and it's wonderful to speak to both of you.
6: Thank you. I think
1: yes. I think we and everyone over here we're holding you in the light and, and, and really hoping for resolution to the big issues as well as kind of short term yes. safety yes. and so on. Eh.
3: And, yeah. and we appreciate the support all over the world that's all happening. We see
1: the world, yeah, see, um,
3: the world yeah. coming together on this issue. It's not just um, us trying to fight for something that other people don't care about. So we appreciate mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I just, just doing the research with the different uh, world leaders that are supporting uh, us here and, and denouncing the things that um, the president is doing and uh, his lack of support so yeah we greatly appreciate that definitely just power to the people
1: well it feels like a dangerous constitutional moment with these divisions between the military leaders Mm -hmm. and the president and so forth so we really really wish you all the best through that short-term danger we wish you the best for november the 3rd your birthday debbie yeah (laughs) thank you uh,
0: all right uh, ladies i'll catch you up on uh, facebook
1: all right Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Bye bye.
5: guest,
1: David, was granted asylum in the US last year from Ethiopia. We're going to ask David to tell that story of of, of his journey and how he came to California in his own words. David, welcome to In Our City.
6: Thank you so much for having me, William. So yes, um, uh, I'm originally from Ethiopia and I was granted asylum in the United States last year in 2019. And um, the main reason why I left uh, Africa was because um, out of fear of persecution for being a, a gay man. So in Africa, anywhere I believe these days in, a, in the developing world, um, you know, gay people can get lynched any day. And now I'm having to come to terms with the reality that I, you know, could also get lynched for being a black man in the United States. So that's been it's been a very heavy, intense week and also traumatizing week for me.
1: So do you feel, equally vulnerable in America to how you did in in Ethiopia but just for different reasons.
6: Yes, that's exactly how I feel. Um, you know, earlier um I was thinking that I was actually sharing this with my friends uh, the other day. I I don't know when I will ever feel at home or where I will ever feel at home in this planet, you know. From where I am, like like I said earlier, I would get I could literally get lynched for being a gay man and in America where I currently have sought refuge, I could potentially get lynched for being a black man. And I experience it every single day, you know? Um, I feel it. I feel those sentiments. You know, when I see police, um, you know, I, I feel like my heart skips a beat and I haven't done anything wrong.
1: Um, What's been happening on the ground in, in Los Angeles where you are?
6: So currently there, there have been a lot of protests
1: as you have been following
6: on the news. Um, so there's a lot of unrest, civil unrest. Uh, pretty much everywhere uh, in the city of Los Angeles. Curfews have been imposed um, in certain cities. Um, In the the city of Los Angeles, it's actually 9 p.m. now. But in other smaller cities where I currently live, which is very close to Santa Monica, which is West L.A., and, uh, well, it's actually a city of its own. On the west side of the Los Angeles County, and there, I mean, the curfews have been in place for at 4 p.m. You know, everybody's told to to leave uh, and disperse by 4 p.m. You know, and yesterday, where I currently live, it's been 6 p.m. I get alerts on my phone saying that um, you know curfew is being imposed at 6 p.m., and it's quite unsettling to see these things. And I mean, I know, I mean, it's it's. Coming from a very, um, you know, very strict dictatorial kind of government in Ethiopia, I know what that's like. I've I lived it, uh, and I've experienced that fear. And now I feel like I'm experiencing that fear here as well.
0: It is not so, a real shock that such a thing is um, is it not, not not only imaginable, but that it is actually a reality pretty much the way the pandemic was such a shock for most of us because it just seemed something that only existed in movies, um, you know, over-the-top movies, and suddenly we're all in this dystopian world. Do you feel Absolutely. a bit as if we're in a dystopian world now with, you know, the, 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 the circumstances over there?
6: Absolutely, I mean, it feels surreal to me. Um, you know, first it was the pandemic and life being upended, as life as we know it being upended, Followed by these protests now that have also upended our lives, you know, just when we thought we were, you know, kind of, you know, getting back to, you know, the routine of things, something like this has happened. And it has shocked, it has personally shocked me to the core.
0: Do do you have a, um, obviously you're going through a lot. You're, um, like you, I'm a first generation immigrant, Albert, in the UK. Um, do you have friends? Do you have a support system over there? Are there people that you can rely on?
6: <laughs> That's a very good question. You know? Um, you know, coming from Africa and having you know, left my community um, for being gay, I've kind of also reserved a lot of resentment towards my community because I've experienced a lot of pain uh, because of the culture and the tradition that I come from. So coming here in Los Angeles, I tend to kind of distance myself from that because it's very—it's a very stark reminder of everything that I experienced back home. So I try to kind of keep my distance because, you know, I don't—I'm not welcome. I know I'm not welcome in the Ethiopian community, but also I'm also getting to realize, become, beginning to realize how difficult it is to actually connect and make friends, um, you know, in your thirties. And especially when you're coming from a very different background, Um, you know, the minute, you know, people, the first thing that people ask me is, uh, so when did you come to the U.S.? As if that is, you know, a determining factor, whether they can be friends with me or not. And, you know, the very few friendships that I actually started making have now been, you know, sort of dissolved because of this pandemic, because I have not been able to upkeep those relationships. So, yes, it's, it's quite tough. And I have to say, no, I do not have, you know, my, my, I do have a solid emotional support system, but they're not here physically. And they're my friends in the UK. They're my friends in Vancouver. They're my friends pretty much all around the world that I still keep in touch with. And those are my emotional support systems. In addition to, you know, I, I also regularly attend, you know, therapy sessions on a weekly basis and my therapist has been a very, good emotional support system to have.
1: David, can you help me to understand, because, because of simply not knowing the background, the prejudice which you describe, which, which meant that you had to flee Ethiopia, is that rooted in, in Christianity and in Islam, or is it broadly a cultural thing, irrespective of kind of faith affiliations?
6: It's, it's a bit of both. Um, you know, Ethiopia tends to be one of the most religious countries that I, you know, that I have, that I've ever known. You know, our Christianity dates back two thousand years. It's one of the first Christian nations, and the country is really the culture and its traditions are really deeply rooted in Christianity. And of course, the Muslim population is now growing, and you know, that's also a very intolerant, um, you know, religion
1: and culture towards gay people. So yeah. But we think yeah. of California and L.A. As, as more or less as gay friendly as it's possible to be on the face of this earth. Has that been your experience?
6: Yes. I mean, in general, I mean, it's very gay friendly. I don't have to worry about, you know, concealing my identity here. Um, you know, even when I introduced myself to new people, you know, it's not an issue. I, I have I have been healing
1: over the past year. Um, but- and it's not an issue for me. Yeah. But the thing which does trouble you, which is the the, the racial prejudice, and that's, is it, yeah. that's simply establishment figures, police, white people, seeing a black face, being suspicious, reacting badly, and with sometimes the force of the establishment behind them. Is, is, that, is that roughly it? Uh, yes.
6: And also there's, you know, something that has shocked me is blatant racism that I've experienced recently. Um, I'll tell you, just in April, um, you know, one of the things that I do also to kind of, you know, make uh, ends meet is deliver for Amazon. So I I deliver packages for Amazon. And I uh, one day actually picked up, you know, boxes from Amazon and was delivering it to this area called Downey, which is within Los Angeles County. Um, and, you know, I parked my car, found my address and I was, you know, I wear my Amazon vest. So I'm clearly an Amazon delivery person. And people can actually see that I'm carrying boxes, so I couldn't be anything else, but you know when i the minute that I popped my trunk, there were three guys they would be you know in their mid forties or late forties, and the first thing that they, they they shouted out to me was, "Oh, is that what do you have there? Is that drugs that you have there?" And I just could not believe you know this racial slur like I'm like, you can see that I'm wearing a vest, an Amazon vest, I'm a delivery person. You can see the boxes that I'm carrying. And just because I'm black, your first assumption is that I'm carrying drugs, right? And in that scenario, I remember feeling extremely afraid because I was like, I didn't do, I didn't didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to react. So I just stared. And that person also, again, called out and said, well, if you don't like what we're saying, you can get the hell on out of here. So experiencing... you know, blatant racism like that in, you know, a city like Los Angeles has shocked me. Like, it's beyond shocking to me.
4: But
0: you, d- well, you d- to, I mean, I have personally um, found that not only have there been sometimes difficulties with racism from white people, I've also found that I don't know whether the word I would use is racism, but certainly some sort of cultural dislocation between other black people, black. Mm. um, uh, uh, So I know that sometimes there's been tensions between African-Americans and other black immigrants. Have you experienced any of that at all?
6: Well, yes, especially initially last year, you know, I have began to feel as if there's this some sort of animosity or hostility from the african-american community when it comes to immigrants you know the minute that people uh, you know notice an accent uh they kind of you know they kind of react differently um they kind of in a very condescending and de- degrading kind of manner so that's that has existed and i believe that's also one of the reasons why Uh, immigrants in this country tend to disassociate themselves from the African American community and think that, you know, the struggles and, you know, African Americans is not really their struggle. Honestly speaking, I have to admit in the past, I have felt emotionally distanced from it because it wasn't my reality. You know, the struggle of African Americans was not my reality. But now after moving here and experiencing these kinds of racist slurs and prejudice, it has now become my struggle too. You know, I feel that is my reality, and I've inherited this collective, you know, burden of, of you know,
0: of yeah. I of, mean, which is kind of, 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 reality. of Interesting. Um. Uh. What I think is interesting. Um. Uh. uh conversations I had with some Somalians, which I'm on a Somalian face, female face group, uh, Facebook mm-hmm. group,
4: mm-hmm.
0: and. I was really surprised to see um, the lack of empathy for the whole George Floyd story, primarily because they don't consider themselves to be black. Absolutely. Uh, is that a common thing even in Ethiopia? <laughs> Do Ethiopians have that Absolutely.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. I think Ethiopians are even worse, you know, when it comes to this. Ethiopians... Because of our historical background with, um uh, you know, being non-colonized, yes, we were occupied for five years, and that's also something that is arguable, and I don't want to get into that, but because of that history, Ethiopians tend to feel differently, you know? Ethiopians in general tend to feel as if um, you know they do not share the same kinds of struggles because they don't have those kinds of historical, the same historical background as most African countries and as African Americans in general. So yes, that sentiment really does reflect. Uh, I mean, is,
0: is really visible in the Ethiopian community here as well. So I'm intrigued. What what do Ethiopians consider themselves? Uh, Ethiopians and Somalians, obviously, in this case, what do they consider themselves to be? I'm I'm intrigued.
6: I can't speak for every other Ethiopian, but I can speak for myself. And I can tell you, I consider myself a black African man.
0: I'm Here's, not trying to box and, it at all. I mean, yeah, I but like in general, Ethiopians,
6: like yeah. I said, because of uh, a difference in historical background, they do not feel as if, you know, they share the same struggles as other black people and African
1: people in general. Um, yeah. This okay. is something which we really prize as as part of um, Haile Selassie's legacy to our community. Because, you know, the, Britain is racist as well. Closing can tell you that. We may be more polite about it a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, we may not have as many uh, as many shootings in the streets and so forth. But the thing about Haile Selassie's legacy to um, our community is it's a place which is imperial. It's a sacred place for those who worship him as the messiah. It's a completely different narrative from the whole sort of British Empire uh, sort of start point, which we've never even bothered to resolve. Anyway, can I ask you, as a, as a modern generation Ethiopian in your 30s, how do you view that figure of his imperial majesty Haile Selassie? Is he relevant? Does he speak to your condition today? How how, how would you see him? Um, Well, that's that's a good question,
6: I guess. Um, Haile Selassie was the was the pioneer of the Pan African movement, and um, I really do strongly, you know, agree broadly with everything that he represents. And but honestly speaking, over the past couple of decades um with with the regime that we've had in ethiopia the eprdf regime has worked really strongly to taint a very dark image of the emperor and i myself being raised in that generation you know the eprdf government has been in power for 27 years we kind of have you know lost in a way the the you know the the really how to say the um the lessons or you know the when it comes to pan-africanism and the movement and everything we've kind of lost that that's been tainted by the by the regime that we've had for such a long time so it's a it's a mixed feeling you know we do associate because it's it, what we know about Taylor selassie is what we've heard from our parents and you know what we've read in books and things like that but that it's not um, it's not a history that is quite visible you know
1: growing up in David Chosen yep. and I have really enjoyed the journey of, of learning about him. And we're trying to see him in the round. I mean, for many people in Britain, uh, awareness of Hale Selassie came through the reggae culture from his devout followers, which, you know, as rebellious school kids growing up, we all, we all really enjoyed. But now we're trying to understand more in the round the mixture of this, this uh, leader who had full authority, but who also modernized his country and who spoke powerfully about racism and uh pan-african unity and peace and development and i must say uh, reading his speeches suggests there's an awful lot we have to learn from him that's our impression but not- I, I i
6: agree i agree but also when I, the point that i'm trying to make in ethiopia you know we we're made up of different types of ethnicities and between ethnicities, there tends to be quite a lot of uh, tension. Um, There's a majority, you know, Mm -hmm. ethnicity called the Oromos, which actually think Haile Selassie is, you know, the devil incarnate. There are, you know, others, um, you know, that also share those sentiments. So amongst Ethiopians, the opinion of Haile Selassie is quite, quite mixed. It's really mixed. So, um, yeah, so it's a a difficult, um, you know, conversation to
0: have. You've mentioned about the fact that despite being in the United States where you thought you would suddenly you, you thought it was going, it was the answer, something that doesn't feel very comfortable. What do you think would make you comfortable? Where what what changes would ha- would there have to be? As as people are clamoring for change now. You know, this is this is the Black Me Too moment, the next stage in um, uh, in change. What would you clamor for now? What do you think needs to be done so that your voice, as a Black gay man, can also be heard? That you too can feel safe.
6: Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'll be very honest with you about that. Um, I'm extremely grateful to, you know, be granted asylum in the United States. You know, this is a country that has accepted me, has given me a home um, when I felt like I didn't feel, when I didn't feel at home, when I couldn't feel at home, back uh, like in Ethiopia. So I feel as though, you know, currently, um, I I don't feel as though I'm allowed to have those opinions yet because I haven't, been in this country long enough, you know. Um, I, I don't feel I'm, I'm I'm in a position to make demands um, because I'm I'm still you know I'm st- I still feel as though I'm a guest in this country. I'm still you know at the mercy of this government. I feel um, as if I'm a guest. Um, so I, I I don't yet quite feel at home enough to actually feel um, you know to demand position. yeah. Yeah, so, um, but I would like to see, you know, people recognizing, you know, that racial prejudice really does exist. Systemic uh, racism is a huge issue. And I really, I mean, we've seen, you know, different minor, uh, minority groups as well as, um, you know, different races coming together around this issue. And I wish, and I, it is my hope that work continues to bring about real change that also benefits That benefits everybody. There is a specific and also like a behavioral change. Sorry. Sorry. Also, like a behavioral change, um, you know, because Black people tend to be, you know, portrayed negatively all the time. Um, And let me share one thing with you. Like recently, I was actually sharing this with my therapist the other day. Um, As a Black man living in America, the highlight of the pandemic for me personally has been having to wear a mask on a daily basis. And that, because now that mask conceals you know, my facial expressions from the world, I do not have to, you know, smile uh, to 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 appear non-threatening or friendly when I'm in public, when I'm around white people in, in public, just to make them feel comfortable and ease around and at ease around me. Um, so, you know, there is this behavioral change that needs to occur. Um, amongst white people as well. And to kind of really, you know, self-confront and look at their biases and try to work around them and see black people for just what they are, just other human beings. We're really not out there to to hurt you or to get
0: you. David, I hear you so, so clearly. As a black woman, I often have to diminish myself when I'm around Mm -hmm. people, including sort of men. Um, otherwise, as women, if we talk too loudly, we're aggressive, we're loud, we're whatever. So you, you make yourself very small. You contain yourself right. very small. So I totally understand. And it, it is diminishing. It, is, it, is, it reduces the spirit to always have to make yourself smaller sometimes, you know, to make other people not yeah. be afraid. It is it such is exactly. an sort of insult to the soul. But i absolutely but i but i do i i sadly i I understand what you mean
1: so there's something we saw David um come out yesterday from l a which is a move to defund the l a p d by one hundred and fifty million dollars and to channel that money into community projects and so forth. I mean that could be extremely significant, I would have thought couldn't it
6: well I... It's, I actually read a, a larger figure this morning. I think it's uh, close to 250 million dollars that they're trying to channel into communities. Um, I believe that would definitely um, make a great change in, in communities, uh, specifically communities communities of color, um, African Americans, also Latinos. Um, yeah, I, that would be a fantastic thing. Uh, while the demand is, you know, to defund the police by uh, the three billion dollar. Budget to defund that. I I mean, it's only a fraction of what the the movement is actually asking, but I think it's a a great step in the right direction.
1: Yeah. Well, let's let's
0: hope that happens. A lot of you, a lot of us, are assuming that they're not going to, that Trump isn't going to win. But I, 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 yeah, I wouldn't start counting those um, pennies yet. Right. (laughs) I I still think that there's a lot of work to make sure that. And and everyone has to turn up to make sure that he does not win. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, all your, uh, I I had a lot of uh, friends when we would, um, the the first uh, um, Brexit, and I remember telling everyone, you need to go out, you need to vote. And they felt that it was insane, that very idea that people would, vote to leave the European Union was insane. <laughs> um, and so a lot of people, a lot of people did not vote. They just didn't vote because they didn't think that yeah. well, so much was at risk. And I still, despite what has happened now and listening to um, Obama's speech, um, well, I wouldn't even call it a speech, I'd call it a conversation that he had last night with the nation. I would, you know, he, and he said, is it, is it, is it um, um, activism or is it votes? And it's like, no, it's both. Yep. You cannot have one and think about the, the other. You need yep. to vote. You need to vote these people out. Of, you vote the wrong people out, vote the right people in. And without the, the combination, it doesn't matter what's happened now. If Trump gets returned in November, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Uh, no comments on that, does it? <laughs> well,
1: Listen, David, thank you so much for joining us from, from Los Angeles in California, speaking to us here in um, Fairfield House Bath, former home of His Imperial Majesty Haile Selassie. I have to say, if ever you're able to make it to the UK, I think you'll feel very much at home, very much at home in Haile Selassie's former house and amongst friends. So thank you for talking to us.
6: No, thank you so much for having me. And yes, I really do look forward to visiting Bob. And uh, yes, because I really do have a good friend there that I would like to visit as well. well you I think
1: you've made several. several. OK. Several
4: good friends. <laughs> thank
6: you so by. much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I look forward to meeting you guys in person someday.
1: Very uh, good. We look forward to that. We'll send you a note of, of the show and, and when it's going okay. out and links and stuff. All right. Thank All right, so David. Stay, stay safe. We'll hold you in the thank light. You. OK. Be safe. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: Majesty Haile Selassie.